So, Dom, last week we spoke about protection. We spoke about some of the regulation changes. If people missed that episode, you can check it out. This week, we're going to really get stuck into exactly what's going on with buy-to-let rates. And I see this on, on community Facebook pages all the time. I'm looking for a two-bed house to rent yeah. in this area. I'm looking for a three-bed. There's nothing there. No. no. They just aren't there. No. So, um, you know, that in and of itself means that there will be a, a fairly vibrant demand for people that, that have some money to invest and do want to buy a house and, and turn it into a rental property. So if you've got competition from residential buyers, competition from landlords, and also the third kind of cohort, if you like, in this is the people that are renting, they've got good incomes, they've actually got a bit of savings, they've just been thinking, shall I, shan't I? Mm-hmm. Is it the right time? Some people, you know, when's the right time to buy a house? Well, my answer is always when it's the right time for you to do it. And if you're in a, you're, if you're currently in a rental and you're seeing your rent increase by 11, 12, 14, 15 percent, but you could go and buy, I think I'd buy. Uh, what's going on with the mortgage world? You mentioned the hand grenade that a certain someone dropped on the market back in September. But how is that lie now? How does it lie? What, where are we at with the rates and what's going on with the market? Because I think we can say honestly, in the first couple of weeks of January or as the month comes to an end, it's really been quite a a positive outlook in the market and it's actually surprised a lot of the people in the state agency world that it's not as bad as maybe we thought it would be properties are coming on properties are selling but first of all how are you and how is the market of the mortgage world hello and um in the circumstances i'm pretty good actually good so uh yeah it was a hand grenade you know it took everybody by surprise and um i, I suppose the the impact it had was to just a lot of people switched off. They either didn't carry on or yeah. they decided to sit on their hands. A lot of those lenders had also written target quite early last year, so they, they just weren't in the in the game of, of pricing aggressively. I think what's changed is this year's actually uh, it's going okay. We've, we've actually got quite a lot of action. Yeah, A lot of people have decided they're going to come back into the game. Shortage of stock is a problem, and I'm sure you guys know that. There's just not enough on the market at the moment. But from a lending perspective... The trend for fixed rates is down. You know, we're we're seeing that competition that I expected to come in is actually coming in, mm. and it only takes the the big players to start making moves, and then the others will follow because there is a lot of liquidity in those lenders. I, I had a big uh, lender come in and see me. I think it was last Tuesday, actually. Maybe the, maybe the ten end of the following week, um, and he said to me. And this is fact that they were taking fifty million pounds a day in savings deposits. Wow. Fifty million a day. What's the easiest way for them to make money on that? Well, it's to lend it. Yeah. Uh, and it's not it, it, it's not a, a it's not a normal bank. It's a building society that that, have, that can't raise capital on the market. Sure. It's, it's a mutual. You can guess yeah. probably from what I've just described <laughs> yeah. who that is. Are they named, are they, are they reasonably sort of they've like got, that they, and they, maybe up and down the country? They've got branches, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They've got branches, um, which is also a novelty. Uh, and they've got a target to hit. So, you know, they are going to start pushing that out. Mm at attractive market rates. They're big enough so that when they do it, the others will follow. What was really interesting on the buy-to-let side, because they have a buy-to-let arm, it it doesn't, relative to their residential lending book, it's quite small, but it's the most profitable bit. So they want to quite aggressively lend in the buy-to-let market. 
And he didn't give too much away because that's what they're like until they've got their, their ducks in order. But I know that they want to do something around things like the stress test, for example, to make it easier for uh, buy to let investors to, to actually pass the affordability test and borrow what they need. Yeah. So I think all things considered, the market's behaving as we expect it to. Uh, there is competition. There's appetite to lend. There's appetite to try and make things a bit easier. And if you look at the the online, um, if you go into things like mortgage strategy and stuff like that, it's not just the high street, it's the specialists. Yeah. They're coming back to market with new products. They're coming in with with rate cuts. You know, the expat buy-to-let market is is deemed to be a growth area for this year. So there's a lot going on, basically. Yeah, it's good. It's, we've, we've seen very much the same across the board, you know. Properties coming onto the market and properties selling, which you would have thought January bring some properties onto the market and then maybe we'll get them moved in March. That's what the expectations were led to believe going into this sort of climate. But actually, it's been quite the opposite. You know, properties have come on open house the next weekend and they've been selling. As long as they're priced correctly, there's people out there that are willing to. And I think when we go back to maybe October, expectations from a fear factor point of view were that rates maybe would be six or seven percent at this stage but mm. they seem to be creeping to mid four at the yeah. moment you know yeah. that seems to be the way that, that yeah. the trend is yeah. do you think that will stay the same for most of the year do you think they'll get down to low fours what's your kind of thoughts on that i think the potential is there it, it really depends what the bank does you know they're meeting on the second uh will they add another 25 bips Possibly, I think we're we're expecting it to top out about four, mm. give or take. I think they've probably done enough. Is yeah. in in truth, um, if the base rate tops out at four, uh, doesn't necessarily mean doesn't necessarily mean that that rates will have to you know fixed rates have to top out at five because the base rate is effectively what commercial banks get for parking their money with the Bank of England. It's the swap rate market that yeah. actually defines yeah. you know, what it costs to, to swap a variable, uh, to hedge a variable for a fix. So I think I think the potential is there. You know, This is profitable business for a lender. Yeah. It's profitable business. So, of course, they're going to go after it if they think that there's going to be a, a, a decline in residential opportunity. I think one – so here's, here's something I'm going to – here's a prediction. Right, go. start recording. <laughs> Let's go. Here's a prediction. I think that, and I mentioned this last week about I know quite a few uh, amateur landlords that, that picked up properties, some of them in the late 80s, early 90s, um, because property was cheap, it was easy to get finance, and it was you know a bit, a yep. bit of income, a bit of a side hustle, I think was the word you used in. Um, a lot of those folks are getting on a bit, uh, and because they were they are amateurs, they haven't, structured their finances to to use the capital overpayment facility and, and pay the mortgage off and just enjoy the income. Yeah. Um, and they've got a choice to make. If they if they need to refinance and they can't pass the stress test, they might have to sell. They yeah. might and you know what, they might have a lot of a reasonable amount of equity if you think about the growth in property yeah. value since late eighties, early nineties to today. So they're probably sat on quite a lot of equity. And a lot of them I think will think, Do you know what, I'm I'm out. Mm. I'm I'm gonna take my I'm going to take my profit yep. and go and do something else. Yeah. A lot of them are probably going to be doer-uppers mm-hmm. because they haven't been well-maintained for the, all the reasons I've talked about. And so I think that's good for the residential market, but it's also good for the investment market, particularly if they can be sold with a tenant in situ, uh, that somebody could sweep in at a reasonable price and and you know pick up a property that needs some improvement. I think the other 
aspect that shouldn't be ignored in this are the EPC regs. So if a lot of these these old properties are EPC E or F, yeah, they need to be brought up to scratch by twenty twenty five. That that needs focusing on. I think that's probably where we're seeing a lot of landlords come out of the market is they can't be bothered yeah. with all of the goalposts that keep yeah. changing, be it from a finance point of view, but more from the legislation perspective. You know, that seems to be a real frustration is it, it's just not staying the same, is it? Every yeah. year it's changing. Okay, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And when it comes to looking at those properties in 80s and 90s, you know, boilers need changing and windows need changing and insulation, insulation needs doing yeah. and this that and the other needs doing you know we're tens of thousands of pounds into that investment windows are shot to bits yep and yeah you just absolutely think now's yeah. the time to actually move it on and mm. and you know enjoy the equity that we've made in it potentially well, every investment market every investment type in my opinion has a cycle everything is cyclical yeah. the entire economy is cyclical um which i won't get into my personal opinion on that but <laughs> I sold a buy-to-let property last year that I bought in the depths of 2008 as a repossession because in 2008 it was practically brand new. Mm. The same, you know, brand new carpets, brand new kitchens, brand new bathrooms. Come 2022, my tenant gave me notice and I had a decision to make. Do I want to do the flooring, the kitchen, both bathrooms and decorate in a flat which was probably going to cost me £20,000 and not add £20,000 to the value of the property or like you say do I just check out take my check um, pay my little bit to, to the capital gains man and, and move on mm. and I think a lot of people will do the same thing when the housing market hits a high or when changes in regulations hit them to a point where it becomes difficult because as you say, that it's that amateur landlord which make up the vast majority, those Mr. and Mrs. Smiths who have a little nest egg. Mm. They p- took a bit of money out of a pension, got a bit of inheritance, put a deposit down and bought a two-bed house around the corner from their four-bed mm. who are just not going to sign up to these new rafts of legislation. Yeah. And with, and with the green agenda... You know that's not going away. That's only going to get yeah. worse. Yeah. So I just I genuinely think it presents an opportunity for professional investors that are looking to expand their portfolio and first time buyers that are coming into the market. And you know everyone loves a doer up, don't they? If, yeah. if they've got a bit of money behind them, you know, yeah. coming across one of these places that has scope. I mean, it's the holy ground, and they find find the worst house in the street and buy it. <laughs> you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about kind of banks are making money out of this. You know, it's a good profitable time. Is is that why most of the better rates at the moment seem to be on the five year fixed deals? If you're looking at things at the moment, the five year fixed seems to have some of the best rates. Are they really looking at this as a as a sort of hook in opportunity, or it's still swap rate related? Okay. So the the cost to to swap. A variable rate for a fixed in the capital markets is cheaper at five years than it is at three and it is at two uh, and that's just because the outlook from uh, the the lending community is that they've got greater certainty i mean it's, it's nonsense right? i mean yeah it's gambles we, we, we think the interest rate in five years is going to be here and therefore uh, but that's what it is you know the, the the swap rates from one to 30 and you can check these if you're interested, if you log on to Chatham Financial, you can see what the Sterling Overnight Index average is um, on the swap market. Uh, and it will give you like a month sort of snapshot. Where was it a month ago? Where is it today? Uh, and it went mental after the hand grenade at the end of September yeah. uh, and has slowly normalized after 
they were swept away. Sunak and Hunt came in, and, and the markets kind of felt a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, um, it's still not normal. You know, a two-year fix should be cheaper than a five-year. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it always has been. Um, but you know, I think that that will settle, but it's just going to take a little bit longer. Um, but obviously, a five-year fix to a, to a lender is much better than a two-year because they're, you know. Locked in. No, yeah, if you no want to change. get out, you know, you've, you, you've got to pay us. I think there probably could be a trend towards tracker. We're seeing that. Certainly us as a practice, we're seeing more people that are willing to take a, a hedge on a tracker because they... There's, a, an, there's an incentive there, isn't there, Dom, at the moment to, to take a tracker rate. One of, my, one of my friends just remortgaged their properties and they couldn't turn it down, mm. frankly. It's about £200 mm. per property... My, difference my, my only caution on that is to make sure you're taking one that doesn't have an early repayment charge on it yeah lots of them do still so arguably it's not there but but for a as a hedge where you're thinking you know, I, I think this is going to turn back in my favor mm-hmm. in the next 6 12 18 months then a tracker absolutely we had um we had a, a, a chat on our one of our thursday night lives that we do at avocado and he had um i think it was in the times but they'd put out 10 10 or 13 potential experts in the property game and it was Savills down to nationwide, you know, it's that, that sort of nature of people. Yeah. Minus 11% down to zero were the forecasts. And, you know, <laughs> it just basically went a percent different per yeah. person. No one had a clue what they no. were expecting to happen this year. Yeah. And, and I think if we were all, maybe that article was written in December yeah. with a view that actually we don't know, but you know, as you as you sit kind of a month into the new year, where's your gut telling you that the, the market might sort of sit come the end of the year? Do you think we'll see a drastic change in pricing like we, we, we thought might happen? Do you think it's going to be fairly stable? Or do you think maybe prices are just going to drop a little bit, but nothing too significant? What, where about what camp are you in on that basis? Um, Personally, I'm, I'm in the camp which says, well, you know, maybe a 5% correction. Mm-hmm. Broadly, but that that doesn't that only takes us back to um, slightly below or slightly above where it was at the start of COVID. You know, it, it, it's not it's not a drastic change. I think it, it's probably there's probably some regional elements to this as well. So we're in an area that that you know has a a strong local economy. Uh, there is you know proportionally more more people able to move. I think the other aspect that's going to be a driver in the market is, and you, I did talk about this last year, and it continues to be the case this year, there is no tangible social housing policy by the government. Mm-hmm. No one's even talking about what one what one might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, even Labour is supposedly, you know, the government in waiting, they're not talking about it. And in a scenario where, and I see this on, on community Facebook pages all the time, I'm looking for a two-bed house to rent yeah. in this area. I'm looking for a three-bed. There's nothing there. No, no, they just aren't there. No. So, um, you know, that in and of itself means that there will be a, a fairly vibrant demand for people that that have some money to invest and do want to buy a house and and turn it into a rental property. So, if you've got competition from residential buyers, competition from landlords, and also the third kind of cohort if you like in this is the people that are renting they've got good incomes they've actually got a bit of savings they've just been thinking shall i shan't i mm-hmm. is it the right time some people you know when's the right time to buy a house well my answer is always when it's the right time for you to do it 
And if you're in a, you're, if you're currently in a rental and you're seeing your rent increase by 11, 12, 14, 15%, but you could go and buy, I think I'd buy. Because if what if your landlord sells the house and all of a sudden you've got to try and find somewhere that isn't there? Yeah. You know, that's, it's, that's the it's big a problem. real risk. It's a yeah. real risk for people that are not in their own house. I feel for tenants. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm active as a letting agent every day. And um, I listed a, a one-bedroom flat in, in Bracknell a couple of weeks ago and had over 50 inquiries yeah. in two days on a bog-standard yeah. one-bedroom flat, which just blows me away it's to the lack, of, yeah. the lack of availability. And I think over a quarter of a million rental properties have disappeared out of the private rental market in the last three or four years. Yeah. And that takes you back to the cyclical nature of things. If landlords are selling because it's harder, they need to be replaced by other landlords because the government aren't going to do anything about it. No. no. I mean, it, we know that the world we're in at the moment or the, you know, in this country, that tenants are finding it really, really hard to find properties they're paying through the roof and some people are not able to live at home with parents while they save a, a deposit until they're the average age of a first time buyer in the UK, which is 33 or whatever it is, 34. Mm. They're not able to do that. And then they get caught in the cycle of actually they can never buy because they're spending so much money on rent that they can't save a deposit. And if we brought landlords back into the game, we bought more rental properties back into the game and made rental prices a little bit more affordable for people. The cycle turns, but obviously it's not looked in that way. I think it'd be interesting to see if anything was ever done on it, but we just can't see it. They're not going to pull the 3% stamp duty or anything crazy like that to, to help landlords. It, it just surprises me that it doesn't get any coverage and it's a massive, it's a massive social problem. Yeah. And I think successive governments have been lazy enough to think the free market will sort it out. You know, the the the, the young entrepreneurs or the the entrepreneurs will will buy houses. They'll create housing stock. But in the background, they're legislating actively to force people out of having that mindset. Mm -hmm. It just it, it's going to blow up at some point. It's going to blow up. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a bait and switch policy in the yeah. sort of mid 2010s to encourage everyone that buy to let was the big thing to do and where to put your money. Yeah. And then as soon as everybody did it, they taxed them yeah. um, through the roof in order to do it, which which put the brakes on things. Yeah. But people still have this demand and need for housing, which will only get worse, which creates more of an opportunity for landlords to ensure that their properties are rented consistently for good rents to good people, most importantly. So what advice would are you giving to sort of people looking at property investing and, and have since the turn of 2023, have you spoke to many people looking to invest in buy-to-lets or, or is it mainly being kind of what what's the trend at the moment? Have you got people upsizing, first-time buyers? What's the kind of go-to client at the moment? On the buy-to-let side, I mean, the, the, the inquiries are down. 100%. I mean, there's still a few people out there with a bit of money to invest. But it's that it's that sort of human condition thing, the same way as some people have been holding off on the resi market, they're holding off on the investment market. Is it is it the right thing? And I think the, the way that the mortgage lending market and, and the, the narrowing margins is probably putting off a lot of the aspiration of buyers, those that had 25 yeah. 20%. It's almost impossible, you know. You, yeah. One one lender, I was looking at it for one client, and one lender, it passed the stress test, but so you've got to have it on capital repayment, where the mortgage was, was more than the rental amount. Mm -hmm. and they, just, they did top slicing on the income to make it work. And it's like, well, this, this is not the right opportunity for you, Mr. Client. Um, I don't know, Ian. I, I think it's going to take a while for... 
the market to find its natural level rate wise, and we need the Bank of England to play their part and and just stop it now. Mm-hmm. I think I think you've gone far enough. Yeah. Um, the human psyche has got to get over the fact that we are no longer in an ultra low rate environment. Yeah. Yeah. We're back to the median that it was pre financial crash. And it has been worse than this. I mean, I'm old enough, as you can probably tell viewers, uh, to remember the late 80s, early 90s, when routinely 15, 16% was normal. And you could, there's always the argument, well, salaries were lower then, prices were lower. Yes, but it's all relative, right? But So we're back to the median. And it's going to take people a while to get that into their psyche. And then we'll see a resurgence of activity because... Of for all the reasons we've talked about, people still need some security. And the older you get, the harder it is to stay in rented accommodation because you're just not secure. You can't, you know. Normally, that that would be an easy pill for people to swallow. I think when you add the interest rate changes to where we sit with the cost of living and things, Mm. that's where probably the challenge comes. And that's where I look at it. And I think, well, on one side, you've got... It's very expensive to get a loaf of bread <laughs> and to fuel your house mm. um, and interest rates are up. But then at the same time, you talk about this cost of living and, and when we're talking about buy-to-lets or first-time buyers, we're not talking about the whole country. Mm. And this demographically, I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but the people that are buying buy-to-lets and buying homes and upsizing are not the t- bottom 30% of the market. Yeah bottom 35% of the country that are struggling to pay their bills. They're just not. And they weren't last year Mm. or the year before, and they won't be this year. So actually, when we look at the people that are likely to be active and you look at those elements of things, that's when you go out on a Friday and you walk down your local high street and it's popping. Yeah, Mm. Every restaurant is full. They're queuing out the door. The cinema's packed. Shops are, you know, they're trying to force people out because they want to close at five o'clock. Mm. That's the world that we're in at the moment. And we've split into very different demographics of people. And you can't look at the media articles that focus on the bottom 30% yeah. because it's not our world. It's not our yeah. world that we're in. Yeah. My plumber, he who does all our gas certificates for our lettings portfolio, COVID started his business. Two years later, he sat on two buy-to-lets. <laughs> He works his fingers to the bone, mm-hmm. to be fair to him. Mm. But he is a gas engineer. You know, traditionally, when I was growing up, that wasn't the job to go into where I'm from. If your dad drove a van, you weren't doing very well, was the kind of the thought. But now, gas engineer, upsized himself personally, two buy-to-lets, looking very, very rosy. Because, as you say, he's one side of that line. He's able to affect his own income (laughs) compared to an employee or a public sector employee where they just cannot make any changes. It's just, it is what it is. You're getting what you get given. And that's where I think that that split comes. And as I said earlier, if we do start to see doer-uppers coming onto the market from amateur landlords, it's going to bring out the people that want to expand their portfolio Yep, and and can. And I think we're seeing portfolio, uh, we're seeing doer-uppers come onto the market through 
not necessarily probate, but people that have gone into care and things like that now, you know, it, it does seem there's a cycle at the top, unfortunately, where mm. um, we're seeing a lot of properties that we're valuing or that are coming to the market where elderly people are no longer able to live in said bungalow or semi-detached yeah. home or whatever it may be. So you've got the two different ends of those properties coming on. And the last couple of years, you wouldn't have seen a, a fixer-upper anywhere, but all of a sudden, they seem to have popped out of the woodwork. So. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the market that we're going to sit in. So I'd like to float a question which always gets at me personally, because in the last episode, I said I was anti-insurance. <laughs> I'm now going to say I'm reasonably anti-pension. And I know Ian joins me <laughs> in that boat. Um, does a buy to let always have to be profitable? My point of view on this is you pay into a pension every single month yeah. your own capital goes into that yeah. but the, de the demand of a buy to let is that it's profitable every single month whilst it also goes up in value so what is actually wrong with your buy to let making a loss of 100 or 200 pounds a month goes back to your psyche i think doesn't it it's, yeah, there's it's nothing just... wrong with it if you're in it for the long term and you're, you're going to buy the asset mm. But it's socially unacceptable, isn't it? Like we've always like we spent all last year talking about, like you said, making nine hundred quid a month on a on a two bedroom house and it being this and it being that. But now the table's turned. Most people are happy about putting a certain number of hundred pounds a month into a pension. Mm. You're happy to pay your own mortgage. Well, if you're overpaying, if you're paying capital repayment on your buy to let because the lender's forcing you to do it. I don't see that as a problem. I just see that as, it again, it comes back to people's psyche. You're paying down the mortgage and the house is invariably going up in value. Very rare is it going to go down. We, we but my pension goes down. My pension went down in value last year. I'll tell you that for free. We you, do you, live probably, in... you probably don't know what fund you're invested in, but that's probably... I haven't another, got a clue. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Or what its objectives are. <laughs> there, there, there is... If you're buying a buy-to-let as a long-term asset that you intend to capitalise out of debt and into full ownership, that's, of course that's a reasonable strategy. If if that's the most tax-efficient way of generating income in retirement is another question. The tax efficiency of disposing of that... Yeah, it does nothing for you on the tax side compared you know, to a pension. Uh, yeah. And that, that's where um, we don't look at assets in isolation we look at financial planning holistically to say what are your objectives in retirement you know what what do you want when do you want to retire what to you would look like a reasonable income what do you intend to do and then model that over a, a period of time work out when you know yeah what your income is whether there's going to be any change in that and where your gaps are um so if you're anti-pension that's fine but I think you've got to look at, at long-term planning in a much broader sense and look at the tax efficiencies of various um, vehicles that are available to you. And we've talked about this before. You know, your business owners, you generate profit every year, hopefully. Um, you pay income tax on what you what you pay yourselves and then the government comes in and, and charges you your corporation success tax, as I call it. Well, well done. You've done really well. I'd like 19% of that as, yeah. at least. Mm. Um, you can't – there's ways of, of reallocating or, or taking company profit. Uh, one of those is to invest in a pension. Now, it's a long-term investment. If you get the investment strategy right and it's a managed fund with an expected growth rate, all that sort of thing – 
it comes back to the whole point around holistic financial planning and understanding what are your objectives as business owners, what are your objectives as an individual and for a family, and then working out, well, what assets do you have? How else could you maximise your financial position in both a savings perspective, asset growth and taxation yeah. optimization? It comes down to that individuals, the, just the way they're wired, doesn't it? You know, in, in terms of your point, we were, we were talking in the office openly with a with a chap who owns a planning business who's been on on the podcast and they were talking exactly of that you know business owners and pensions and a particular contact of his that that drops about 40 grand a year into that for his business and he was talking about 200 quid a month that goes into his and it's just says it's free money and then i was looking at it thinking that's just absolutely bonkers like 40 grand a year i could do so much with that and then i've, I've got my buy to let making me 50 quid a month you know, that's all it makes me. And if the interest rates change, it might lose me 50 quid a month. But I always had the goal where, uh, when I turn 50, there's a lot of things that I want to happen in my life. And one of those things is that buy to let is paid off. So when I bought mm. it eight years ago, I set it up on a 19 year repayment. There's 11 years left on that repayment. I'll own it for the next 11 years. It will probably be worth about a quarter of a million pounds. And I'll have a quarter of a million pound cash less if I decide to sell it. The, the success tax or um or obviously I, I might end up refinancing it but that that's my goal is i'm not mm. I, i'm i'm patient with that asset whereas i think the culture that we're in at the moment sometimes is a bit impatient with sometimes these assets nurturing and for me that's an asset that i'll reap the rewards of when i'm 50 hopefully um but i definitely don't see any rewards of, of an extra 50 quid a month in the bank account at the moment <laughs> um so it just depends on the individual really i think so um Dom reckons potentially a 5% correction, you know, this this year might be something we see. Mike, put you on the spot. What's your expectations for 2023? Speaking about the local market that I work in, as long as interest rates stay where they are or drop towards that, I see it as a magical 3.99 number. Yeah, it's like being in Woolworths, isn't it? <laughs> Do we remember Woolworths? Um, everything's ninety nine p, and it all feels cheap. If we can get interest rates below that four percent, I don't see it going anywhere south. It, to be completely honest, I see the the type of people buying is different. There's a lot more people who are not on the market who are now searching for properties and getting a chance rather than that you have to be sold. We're not even going to show you unless you're proceedable, which brings the investor into the market because they become the hero at the bottom of the chain to make something happen. So I think there's a few caveats in what I've just said that I think interest rates need to improve slightly and the afford because it just improves the affordability and it improves the the targets that buy to let lenders set themselves. But for for me, Southeast, everything has started in in a positive way because houses are still selling, people are still turning up to open houses, people are still buying properties because this, like as you said. The, the, the economy is inflationary because there's too much money for the amount of goods and services that are available. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's lots of money around, then there's going to be people there to buy things. Well, the data shows four weeks into the year that the average house listing price is around 448 and the average price selling price is around 356. So call it a 100 grand swing 
on what price the average type of property that's coming to the market. It doesn't mean that people are taking 100 grand less on their asking price. <laughs> it just means there's a lot of three-bed selling at 12 million. <laughs> it just means that the lower market at the moment is, yeah. seems to be the active market. Yeah. And that's very normal at the start of the year. And we always see the lower market kicks off because all the first time buyers are coming to the market. They've spent a lovely Christmas together with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And they think they're all loved up. Bank of mum and dad. Bank of mum and dad (laughs) are feeling (laughs) good. of hopes and aspirations. Yeah, they've had a few too many Baileys. They've offered to lend 35 grand to the kids. (laughs) And as a result, what we see is the knock-on effect. And the first time buyers come in and then the second time um, buyers and the first time sellers move on. And then then, the summer market kicks off. then we're talking schools and people are thinking right i need to get you know sorted for term time blah 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 it feels quite normal so you know on that on that note ending this particular episode it's been awesome having you on don for two episodes it's great insight on both um it's nice to know that we all feel relatively confident be it a little bit normal um you know there's a lot of experience in this room and if anyone wants to reach out and talk to don best way to get in contact with you uh, website maybe hit, or hit the website yeah there's a contact page on the website themoneyguardian.co.uk we'll put that link in both show notes for the episodes and you're welcome to obviously reach out to us and we can put you in contact with Dom or go direct um, but yeah as always it's been great having you on really appreciate absolute it absolute pleasure thank you guys thank you cheers I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.